0: So in case you haven't uh, been around all this year, we have spent this entire year looking at different uh, sections and letters that were written to the early Christians. Um, We've looked at stories of of people in the Old Testament, um, and we've done this for the reason of hoping that we can all see the fact that the gospel, the message, the good news of what Jesus has Done for us, what God has done for us through Jesus impacts everything. We have the overarching theme for 2023 was this idea of the gospel effect. And it's not that we misspelled the word effect, um, but it's really the fact that the gospel both affects us and effects us. And this is what we mean by this the word effect. Is a verb that usually means to change someone or something. And we believe that the message of the gospel does this, that Jesus changes us. From the moment we put our faith in him, and for as long as we live, we are being changed by him. As we understand and reflect on all that Jesus has done for us, it affects us. He changes us, and we are never the same. The word effect is usually a noun and it means a change that results in something that has been done or happened. This also is true of the gospel. We believe that Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for our sin. In other words, he defeated the effect of sin. His resurrection three days later defeated death, giving us the hope of eternal life with him. Mankind's two biggest enemies, sin and death, have been defeated by what Jesus did for us. And as a reminder of this, at the beginning of the year and a couple times throughout the year, we've handed out these bracelets that are available at Connection Point. There's still some on the tables along the side, just as just aware as a reminder of this effect that this has had on our lives. This message of the gospel, what God has done for us. And there may be be no better picture of the gospel effect than the letter Paul wrote from a Roman prison to a group of Jesus followers in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus was a very important city in Paul's time. It was large, it was a port city, it was very diverse, had a very diverse population. It was the center of religion in that day. There were already over 50 temples in, in the city of Ephesus, and there was a significant temple to the god Artemis that was so big that it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And last year, we went through the book of Acts, and we saw that as Paul was going out to spread this good news that he spent more time in the city of Ephesus um, over two years than any other place that he visited while he was spreading the gospel, and he started a church there. He had a group of Jesus followers, and he spent time developing leaders for that church community. During Paul's stay, the message of the gospel spread so quickly throughout the city, it began to impact their economy, specifically the idol-making industry. And the people were upset at the fact that their economy was being wrecked, and they caused a riot, and they stirred up hostility against this early group of Jesus followers. But in spite of that, the church flourished, and it grew. And in this letter titled Ephesians in our Bible, Paul writes to remind us of all that God has done through Jesus how God has made a way for us to be restored back to Him through Jesus. In fact, the first three chapters of this letter are all about what God has done. And then, there's this word that you read at the beginning of chapter 4, four therefore. Paul reminds spends the Remainder of this letter connecting what God has done to how we are now able to live and what we are to do as a result. God has given us this new and amazing life we can now live with Him now. The order that Paul writes this, what God has done, and then what we do in response is so important. We talk about this a lot because it's so easy for us in our lives to get this turned around. If we get this order wrong, if we put the do before the done, then our pursuit of God becomes nothing more than just another religion. It becomes our effort to earn God's favor or God's acceptance through the things that we do or the works that we do. That's not grace, that's merit. And the Scriptures are clear that no one can do enough good things to earn a restored relationship with God. So here's what God has done for us. Because of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, He is the way. He's the only way back to God. This is a gift that He offers to anyone who will put their faith in Him. And when we put our faith in Jesus... We are justified with God. We are made right with God. God forgives us of our sin. He restores the relationship to us. And now we have this incredible hope of this life that we can live with God now and for eternity. We are made new to live as we were originally designed to live because God gives us his spirit to continually work in us to make us more like Jesus. What then do we do with this new life that we have in Jesus? Simply this, we follow Jesus. We continually surrender and submit our will to His. We begin to live differently because the Spirit continues to do His work in us to make us more like Him. There's no better news than this. So let's look at this letter together. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, Paul starts this letter by saying this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to point out just two quick things from this introduction. The first is this, you know, depending on what faith tradition you grew, grew up with, Grew up in, saints can be a loaded word. It can mean a group of people who are special, who have done special things, um, and it's kind of set apart. They're holier or better than. But the saints that Paul writes to here are people who follow Jesus, who have given their lives to Jesus. It just, Paul's just simply saying to the Jesus followers in Ephesus. The second is this, that the church that Paul was writing to, operated a lot differently than we do today. They didn't have buildings or places for groups of people to gather together. They would typically meet either in courtyards or in people's homes, and they would meet in these smaller groups of people. And so when a letter would be written, someone would deliver that letter, and then that letter would be passed from place to place, from group to group, and read. And they wouldn't sit down and break it down like we do typically on a Sunday morning. What they would do is they would just read this letter. And they may read it several times. And it would be a source of encouragement or challenge or something like that to them. And so one of the things that I would just encourage everyone to do as we go through this series in Ephesians is each week just sit down and read the letter in its entirety. Do that each week. It takes about 20 to 25 minutes to read through the six chapters of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter one, verses three through fourteen. It says this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Wow, there's a bunch in there. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, what did He just read? In the original language this was written in, which was Greek, this is a single sentence. Like, it's a comp teacher's nightmare. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody that they're so excited that they just, just explode with what they want to tell you, and you're like, whoa, take a breath and slow down, I'm not catching anything you're saying, that's what Paul's doing here, Paul is so excited to write about the amazing things that God has done through Jesus that he just blurts them out on a page. So let's slow down a little bit and take a closer look at what Paul is saying about the amazing things that God has done for us through Jesus. Michael DeFazio summarizes this sentence this way, and I think it really makes us clearer. He says this, All of God has been working through all of time to save all of you. So let's break that down. All of God. In this section, we see the work of all the persons of God, or the Trinity. We believe that God exists as one being in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each is God, yet each is distinct from one another. More, none is greater than the other, and all exist in this perfect loving relationship with one another as one being. In this sentence, you see all of God, Father, Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit working through all of time. From before the foundation of the world, before God spoke a word of creation into existence, into the present, and into the future, the fullness of time, and even beyond the fullness of time to the eternity. God has been working, God has been and always is at work to accomplish His good and perfect will and purpose to save all of you now this you is not just individuals it's not just you know the fact that we are fully and completely saved when we put our faith in jesus it's more than that it's a plural it's collective he's talking about two different groups of people in verse 12 he says we who were the first to hope these are the jewish people these are the israelites And then he also says in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth. This is the Gentiles. This is everyone who is not Jewish. So this is everyone. This is all people. And God's plan is to save anyone who would believe in Jesus. All of God has been working through all of time to save all of you. That's the summary. Now here are the specifics. Paul starts his sentence by saying this, he says that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And then he lists seven things, seven ways that we have been blessed by God through Jesus. And that's what I want to spend most of our time looking at this morning. The first is this, that God chose us. God chose us. There's Nothing special about us. We did nothing good. It's not like God's like, well, that person there's good, and that ah, kind of acceptable will go there. And it's not that. We did nothing special. We have nothing that God needs. But God moves towards us first. Consider these two passages that even talk more about this. In 1 John, 4.10, it says this, this is real love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And then Romans eight, but God shows His love for us in that while we were all sinners, in other words, while we were still His enemy, Christ died for us. God moves first. I don't, I don't think about this enough. The God who spoke all things into being. The God who rules over everything and holds all things in His hands. The God who has always been and always will be. This God chooses us. He chooses you and He chooses me. He is the initiator. He first loved us. And He has demonstrated His love by offering us a way back to Him through His death the second thing that we see is that he predestined the way for us people view the word predestined in a couple of different ways and it's unfortunately caused a lot of division within the church some people look at this word and they think that it means that before God created the world God had already decided or predetermined Who would be saved and who wouldn't be saved? In other words, those who were in and those who were out. I don't think that's what Paul's saying here. In the context of this sentence, Paul writes, he says in verses 4 and 5, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself. It begs the question, what is us? Who are us? Verse 13, it says it's those who believe in Jesus. He's not referring to a pre-selected group of people, but to anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. What's been predetermined is not who, but how we are saved. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. If I were to tell you, this Saturday, if you show up at Roger Williams Park at the carousel at 3 p.m., you will get a free carousel ride. Now, I'm not offering that. I just want to be clear. So if you show up at 3 o'clock, I'm not going to be at Roger Williams Park. I haven't predetermined who's going to show up for the free ride. I've only predetermined the conditions for getting the free ride. Being at Roger Williams Park at the carousel at 3 p.m. Anyone who shows up at the park at that time will get the reward. Likewise, God has predetermined the conditions of how we become his sons and daughters. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. But he hasn't predetermined who will and who won't. And here's the amazing thing. If you sit back, if you stand back and you think about this. God did this before he spoke creation into being. So think about it. God knew what it would cost him to create everything. Including us. He knew sin would enter the world. He knew he would have to die in order for us to be reconciled back to him. And yet he still created us. Sometimes when we read the Bible, especially the Old Testament. We think that God is simply responding and reacting to whatever happens. But he isn't. It's all part of this grand plan. Before he spoke. Creation into being. And that is amazing. The third thing Paul tells us to reflect on is this, that he has redeemed us. Redeemed us is the idea of being purchased back from something. We were slaves to sin. And God purchased us back. He's freed us from that. And this wasn't a cheap redemption like turning a coupon in at a store. This cost him dearly. It cost him his life that he willingly laid down to pay that price for us on the cross. He has forgiven us. I don't think about this enough as well. I think a lot of times when we think of forgiveness, we think of it in relational terms as human beings, but we are not holy, but God is. God is completely holy. He's set apart from us because of his holiness and We don't think of the depth of offense that we've caused a holy God. And that fact that He forgives us. When we put our faith in Jesus, He doesn't just forgive us of what we've done, but anything that we will do. And He remembers our sin no more. Number five, He has revealed His plan to us. another thing that we don't think about enough. Like for the people in the time of, of Jesus and, and before even, like they had no idea, like they knew that a Messiah was coming, they hear the stories of the prophets and the prophecy that there's a Messiah coming and, 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 and in their interpretation of it, they don't know who, when He's going to come or, or how He's going to come, but that He is going to come. And, and even when He does come, they don't understand why He's there. They think that the Messiah is there to restore Israel to its former glory. Like, it's just for the Israelites. It's just for the Jewish people. And at the time that Jesus came, he thought that he was there to overthrow Rome. But Jesus came for so much more, and we know that, that it wasn't just for the Jewish people. It was for everyone. And it wasn't just so that we could have a higher status in society, but but because we were completely forgiven of our sins and, and have the opportunity to be reconciled back to God as so much greater purpose. Number six, he's given us hope. says we've, we have obtained an inheritance. This inheritance he's talking about is this future life with God after this life, the eternal life with God that we're promised when we put our faith in Jesus that is offered to us, a life that's fully lived forever in God's presence. And this is a, a real hope that we can lean on. It's not a false hope with all of the different things that we try to put our hope in. Each and every day, I unfortunately next year we enter into another election cycle and, and we're already seeing the start of this and unfortunately there are those who will put their hope in somebody who sits in a seat. There are those who will put their hope in the bottom line in their bank account. There are those who put their hope in a prognosis. But there's a place that really we can ultimately anchor our hope in and that's in this hope that of a life spent with God forever. And not only the fact that he's given us the hope, then, then the seventh thing we see, he's given us the assurance of this hope. Paul says that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of us, possession of it. God's spirit is in us. He's always with us, and this is the assurance that someday we will spend eternity with Him. We don't have to guess. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. We don't have to doubt. I mean, this is something that we have been sealed, that we have this guarantee because of God's presence in us that we have this hope of life forever with Him. I don't know about you, but I know I don't reflect on these things enough I know there's times when I want to expect something more from God, especially when things don't go the way I want. But what if we reframed what we spent time thinking about? How different would our perspective about our lives, especially the circumstances of our lives, be if we spent time each day reflecting on each of these amazing and undeserved blessings we received when we put our faith in Jesus. That God has chosen us. That He has set this way from the foundation of the world for us to be reconciled back to Him. That He has redeemed us. That He has forgiven us. That He has revealed this mysterious plan to us through bringing Jesus. That He has given us this unshakable hope, and that He has given us this assurance of the hope that we have and then paul shares how he has prayed for them with these beautiful words in the last part of this chapter he says this for this reason for all these things i've just said for these seven things i've just said because i have heard of your faith in the lord jesus and your love towards all the saints I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints, and what the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the prayer. I love the framework that Paul gives us here. And perhaps some things for us to think about and how we pray for ourselves and how we pray for others. Here are four things that I think that we see Paul praying that we should know. The first one is this, that we should know Jesus. Not know about Jesus, not have more information about Jesus, not having all of the facts and statistics and details of all of the different things that he did, because that's sometimes how we approach knowing Jesus, but really to know him. Like as God's Spirit's in us, that God continues to reveal, ourso- reveal who Jesus is to us, and that we have this amazing, incredible relationship with him, that we would know Jesus. The second thing that Paul prays is that we would know true hope. We've talked about this incredible hope that that God has already blessed us with but that we would actually know that hope, that we would live that hope. That we wouldn't continue to put our hope in things that are going to just continue to disappoint us and let us down. That what lies ahead for us and with eternity with him is where we put our hope. The third thing that I think that we see Paul pray here is that we would know how God sees us. It talks about this inheritance of the saints. That's not an inheritance we get. That's God's inheritance. That God sees us as his treasure. That God sees others as his treasure. That's that's incredible. To know that God sees us that way. And then lastly, we see that we would know the power of, of God. God is greater than anything and any one. God, God is above all things. Anything that we might try to turn to, anything that we are worrying about, anything that we fear, anything that we think that we can find fulfillment in. God's greater than that. And God is more than enough for us. And we can put our trust in him. What if we not only reframed our thinking, but what if we also reframed what we ask God for each day? What if we started our day asking God for these things? What if we ask God to open our eyes and our hearts so that we can know? Jesus more? What if we asked God to let us know this hope that we have, that that's the focus of where we put our hope? What if we would know more about how God views us and that we don't always look through the lens of ourselves and how we see ourselves or how we think others see us, but we are only focused on how God sees us. What if we prayed or asked that God would let us know how powerful He is, is, that He is in control, that He's good, that we can trust Him in everything that happens in our lives. So in closing this morning, what I want to do is something a little different. I want to pray this prayer over us, and I've modified it just a little bit. So would you Pray with me. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of You. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we may know what is the hope of, to which You have called us. What are the riches of Your glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of Your power toward us who believe? According to the working of Your great might that You worked in Christ when You raised Him from the dead and seated Him at Your right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And You put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to us, Your church, which is Your body the fullness of him who fills all and all amen